It's the NPR Politics Podcast, and we are here today to talk about something that feels like a big change in the race for 2016. I wrote something today that I think is very, very salient, very important, and probably not politically correct, but I don't care. That is, of course, Donald Trump last night in South Carolina, and he went on to read from a statement that really set the political world on fire. Donald J. Trump is calling for a total and complete shutdown of Muslims entering the United States until our country's representatives can figure out what the hell is going on. That statement from Donald Trump, how we got there, and more on this edition of the NPR Politics Podcast. I'm Tamara Keith, NPR White House correspondent. I'm Ron Elving, editor and correspondent. And I'm Don Gagne. I cover national politics. And I'm Carrie Johnson, the justice correspondent. And Carrie, this is your first time on the podcast, and we bring you here to talk about terrorism. Uh, what is the latest on San Bernardino? The FBI uh, director in Los Angeles uh, says this couple, the husband-wife shooting team, had been radicalized for some time, but authorities are still trying to figure out who radicalized whom and whether anybody else was involved in this plot. Here's an easy way to think about it. Just remember ATM. Investigators are looking for accomplices, training, and money. So they're following all those things in the days ahead. And they've done hundreds of interviews. This is this is going to be it's going to be a while. It's going to be a long time. 400 interviews so far, 300 pieces of evidence. Maybe most important, uh, scouring their electronic media, social media, email and the like for clues. Investigators have called this terrorism. Terrorism leads to terror. And I, I just want you guys to sort of weigh in on has fear imbued our politics in the last couple of weeks? You know, San Bernardino is a very long way away from the places where we thought terrorism was most likely to strike, places such as New York or Washington, D.C., or Paris, for that matter. But we have also thought about things such as soft targets. And we've talked a lot about how maybe terrorists would strike someplace where there was no security or no security that couldn't be easily breached. Well, that applies once you start thinking about it to pretty much everybody in the country. Everybody is gathering at some point or another in some sort of a place, be it a church or a stadium, and they are a soft target. And when it comes to, to the fear, you see kind of an escalation of things that is pegged to events. Uh, Paris made people a little bit nervous. It's like, oh, ISIS has kind of moved beyond their region and will strike innocent people who happen to be at a concert hall or a diner or whatever. Then remember, right on the heels of that came the Planned Parenthood shooting in Colorado Springs. And remember the big debate for a couple of days? Is it terrorism? Isn't it terrorism? Is it a, a lone person who is mentally ill? What What is going on there? Then immediately that is eclipsed by San Bernardino. And, and we've watched that story play out. And you can feel it, especially uh, when, you, when you do something I've done, which is go to Donald Trump events. You can feel it in that audience. You can feel the frustration that people have with how the country is addressing this threat. And you can feel the fear and the anxiety. Carrie, we're talking about soft targets and self-radicalized lone wolf attackers. What can law enforcement even do? These people are really hard to detect, Tam, in part because they're moving away from this model of huge coordinated attacks like 9-11, where authorities can pick up on some electronic communications, phone calls or whatever. Sometimes they're talking only to themselves. Sometimes they're just talking to other people on Twitter or on apps that law enforcement tries to monitor but can't keep its arms around altogether. So, And, and of course, that's what makes it even more frightening is that it's it's this thing that 
is really, really hard to detect. These two San Bernardino attackers, neither one of them had an American criminal record and neither one of them was a subject of an FBI investigation at the time of this shooting that killed 14 people. Uh, there, There is a real fear out there and law enforcement is afraid too because they don't have enough resources and they're just not sure how to find and detect these people before bad stuff happens. And let's interject at this point that there are few, if any, things in political life that are more powerful than fear. And with that backdrop of fear in the country, President Obama felt that he needed to address the nation over the weekend. Sunday night, he did an Oval Office address. This is a rare thing for him, a rare primetime Oval Office address right between football games, capturing the, the maximum possible audience. And he came out and he said, he basically said what he's been saying before. The terrorist threat has evolved into a new phase. As we've become better at preventing complex, multifaceted attacks like 9-11, terrorists turn to less complicated acts of violence, like the mass shootings that are all too common in our society. And I think that there were a lot of people, both his opponents and his supporters, who were hoping he would come out and say something new, say something that would make people feel better. The only ratcheting up was when he described them as thugs. ISIL does not speak for Islam. They are thugs and killers, part of a cult of death. And they account for a tiny fraction of a more than a billion Muslims around the world. But even that was in the context of this very kind of calm, measured moment in the Oval Office. You know, it's different from the crisis of 2008 when that demeanor was reassuring to people 2008, 2009. The financial crisis. Which was a financial crisis and where people didn't understand in any way, shape or form what was going on, but they could see their money was disappearing. So that kind of very cool, very rational demeanor seemed to be appropriate. This time around, what we're dealing with is much more raw. And the president did not match that. Carrie. In terms of his strategy against the Islamic State, he's playing a long game. He wants to try to keep the peace or reach a peace in Syria. The American public does not want him to put boots on the ground in yet another country. And it's impossible in some instances, no matter how much surveillance you do under the United States Constitution, to detect some of these self-radicalized individuals. So he can't make easy promises here. So he's left, in some sense, with trying to be reassuring at a time when people are nervous and uh, wanting a definitive answer. Much easier to be a candidate for president than to be president when it comes to doing exactly what Kerry's talking about. Which brings us to one Donald J. Trump. Enter Donald Trump, though it seems strange to describe this as an entrance since he's been making so much noise uh, all year, but he's taken it to a new place. You know, right before the Paris attacks, which were November 13th, Right before those attacks, a lot of people were starting to talk about a little bit of the air going out of the balloon for Donald Trump, that his poll numbers had plateaued or even begun to sink in a few places. There was a little loss of energy. And since then, uh, after Paris, of course, he got a huge bump. Then after the San Bernardino shootings, similarly. But there's always this kind of sense that he's he's got to keep reinflating that balloon, got to keep pumping it up. And even since San Bernardino, just a week, he needed suddenly to do something more to really get the focus back on him. And he has done it. And in part, that's because he responds with with solutions that maybe his supporters 
are looking for. When you work the crowd at his rallies, there's generally an hour, hour and a half where everybody's in there. They're milling about. Uh, the candidate hasn't arrived yet. The Secret Service detail hasn't arrived yet. So you can talk to people who are there and they will say person after person after person, uh, he's not politically Correct. Uh, he is free and he has the courage to say the things that nobody else will say. He's proposing common sense solutions. Now, there's not a lot of detail in what he's laying out here other than he's going to close the borders to any Muslim trying to enter the U.S. But they see that as as a very strong reaction to a problem, a, a way to call time out till we fix this, whatever fixing it means. Well, Don, you're you're talking about Trump supporters believing in his common sense solutions and ways to fix problems. But in fact, when you talk to the attorney general or the FBI director or somebody on the National Security Council staff, they will tell you that the United States very much needs the cooperation of American Muslims already in this country to detect problems and plots before they happen. So the kinds of solutions that Trump is proposing here, barring the the end Trend of new um, migrants to this country who happen to be Muslim and uh, tourists, anybody. American citizens who happen to be Muslim and are not in the country at the moment. Though he may have walked that back. He may have walked that back. But, you know, none of that was very well thought through. None of it was thought through before he came out and made this suggestion, made this proposal, because it's supposed to be a lashing out. It's supposed to be a response to frustration. That's what connects with the feelings of so many people, not only at Trump rallies, certainly at Trump rallies, but beyond that, too. Other people who feel like everything they hear from the government is more process. Everything they hear from the government is more, well, let's think this over. Let's. It's mumbo jumbo is if how they would will. describe what you're talking That's about. That's right. Here, and, too. and they then yeah. characterize that as politically correct and not as common sense. How is the Republican Party, how are how are people reacting to Donald Trump today? As we record this, Speaker of the House Paul Ryan has weighed in condemning what Trump has said. But let's look to some of the other candidates. Uh, ben Carson, who is fading a bit in the polls, but was seen as Donald Trump's main kind of outsider competitor for a while. He said we shouldn't discriminate based on religion. But then he goes on to say that we should register and monitor everybody who comes into the country. Uh, just a sampling here. Jeb Bush called Trump unhinged. Marco Rubio called it offensive and outlandish. Chris Christie says, does Donald Trump even know what he's talking about? Uh, this Republican state party chairs in New Hampshire and South Carolina both condemned it. But a Trump supporter who's with a veterans group in New Hampshire condemned the state party for condemning Trump and said uh, he's not proposing anything that we didn't do to Japanese with Japanese Americans in World War II. So he used that as a defense for what Trump is. Listen, this week we celebrated um, the sad anniversary of Pearl Harbor, okay? And we heard a lot of stories about elderly and, and dying Japanese Americans who spent time in internment camps whose experiences are now being memorialized in museums. And the point Obama, in an elliptical calm, cool, and collected way was trying to make, I think, in his remarks was uh, the country is better than this and we shouldn't go down that road again. And yet his own remarks have been eclipsed by this media firestorm starring Donald J. Trump. Exactly. And Trump raises FDR and what he describes as the tough decisions he made back then. He won't say that he supports internment. He says, we're not talking about, we're not talking about that. But he does raise that time period. I want to go back to September 11th, 2001 and the, and the terrorist attack then. 
And and what happened after that? Was mainstream political discourse like this? Don, I don't remember it being like this. And Don, you cover the White House. Then. I, I, I was at the White House for NPR then covering the Bush White House. There was backlash in the country. And you saw it in, in the Detroit area and Dearborn and any place where you had Muslims around the country. Uh, you saw backlash. But what you did not see was anything like that coming from the political leaders of the country. And I guess it's worth contrasting what we're hearing from Donald Trump now with what we heard from Republican President George W. Bush. Uh, He visited an Islamic center in D.C. just days after 9-11. America counts millions of Muslims amongst our citizens. And Muslims make an incredibly valuable contribution to our country. Muslims are doctors, lawyers, law professors, members of the military, entrepreneurs, shopkeepers, moms and dads, and they need to be treated with respect. And our anger and emotion, our fellow Americans must treat each other with respect. Sounds a lot like what President Obama said in the Oval Office the other night. Obviously, this is days after 9-11, and you can hear very different from what we're hearing now. What's happening in America that our current president, President Obama, goes out, gives a speech intended to reassure Americans, and he's greeted with huge criticism, and Donald Trump then coming out, feeling the need to come out and say something stronger. It's interesting because there, there was no sense in that moment of rallying around our president as he spoke in the Oval Office. You just you just didn't pick that up. Uh, there was criticism uh, that he didn't say what he needed to say. There was criticism that he was too soft. And let's be honest, there is a lot of concern, especially if you look at his approval ratings, that his policy in dealing with Syria and dealing with terrorism has not been tough enough. Well, let's just say ISIS is not contained even remotely. Yeah, the the four things he wants to do are going nowhere in Congress. Any kind of gun regulation is a non-starter, was a non-starter before, and now we're in the the midst of a heated election cycle. And uh, Though I will say the House of Representatives is taking up the idea of, of adjusting the visa waiver program. So maybe the one thing that the president talked about might get some sort of bipartisan traction. There's not much reassurance in hearing somebody say that we're going to adjust the visa waiver program. That is not going to make people feel less like a soft target living inside of an office building or going to some sort of a gathering, a church or a stadium, and being highly vulnerable to some random attack. Now, the odds are that's not going to happen, but the fear is happening. So right now we are sort of in in the height of the media frenzy that Donald Trump created and, you know, sometimes creates from time to time. Where does this go from here? We're talking about this in the context of a presidential race, obviously. And everything we have said so far about who is up, who is down, who has momentum is all based on polls. In about seven weeks, we'll start having actual votes. Uh, Perhaps this big, unwieldy field of Republicans, still 12 candidates. Is it a baker's dozen now? Something like that. We'll start to be winnowed down. We'll see if that has significant effect on Donald Trump's current frontrunner status. If someone else emerges, there are just a lot of questions. But I think one thing is certain, that this will be a dominant topic all the way through 
through to next November. One thing is clear, with a few weeks to go before Christmas, we will go through the rest of this year with the Republican contest being all about Donald Trump. You're either with him or you're not on this proposal, on the next proposal. He is the subject of the contest, more so than Barack Obama, although obviously Obama's still in it, more so than Hillary Clinton, although they will certainly talk about her too. For now, it's all about Donald Trump, and all attempts at getting the Republican Party together or unifying it are not availing. And let me darken your door here, since that seems to be my role in this news organization. (laughs) U.S. law enforcement has done a remarkable and near-perfect job of detecting plots before they happen on American soil. That record can't continue. And if there's another incident, that could change the politics and upend this, this campaign even more. All right. Well, that's all the time we have for now. We'll have more on this on our weekly roundup on Friday. And until then, turn on your radio. You can find us on your local NPR station on Morning Edition or All Things Considered. We're talking about many of these very same things on those shows. Thanks for listening. I'm Tamara Keith. I'm Ron Elving. I'm Don Gagne. I'm Carrie Johnson. See you next time on the NPR Politics Podcast.